0: Hello there, you're listening to Manufacturing Tomorrow, brought to you by the Ohio Manufacturing Institute at The Ohio State University. I'm Katherine Kelly, your host. Today we are speaking with Fran Brunel, president and founder of Accelerated Manufacturing Brokers, a company that specializes in the sale of small and mid sized manufacturing firms. Uh, with the goal of ensuring the continuity of U.S. manufacturing, Fran and her team help transition ownership to the next generation of entrepreneurs. Recently, Fran was named to the 2020 Most Influential Women in Mid-Market Mergers and Acquisitions. Fran, welcome to the podcast.
1: Hey, it's great to be with you today. Thanks for having me.
0: What was the driving force behind you founding Accelerated Manufacturing Brokers? You began as an industrial auctioneer, correct?
1: Yeah, that's correct. So we were, um, we were, as industrial auctioneers, we were helping manufacturing companies exit when there was some sort of need for speed. Sometimes it was a medical issue. More often than not, there was financial trouble, um, and an auction was an was an option to speedily uh, liquidate their assets and pay off creditors so that they could avoid bankruptcy. Um, we started our journey as MA professionals at the behest of some of our longtime auction buyers. So, the sellers we would basically see one time as they closed out their business. But over time, you saw the same buyers again and again, and they were. They were growing, thriving manufacturing companies who were constantly trading out their existing equipment for uh, a better brand, a faster machine, a newer piece. And basically, at their behest, we started the journey to both help them exit their companies and sometimes to help them make acquisitions so that they could grow.
0: That is really an entrepreneurial mindset that a lot of people probably don't realize happens behind the scenes.
1: Yeah, yeah. It was, you know what, it was really, um, and I forget if you and I talked about this, but the first time someone asked me to sell their company, longtime auction buyer, and I basically said, you know, I love you dearly, but I don't do that. And his response was a gift because he said, yes, you do, kid. You just don't realize it yet. And we had a blast selling that. We, we had uh, three offers come in within a 24-hour period where he really got to choose who he wanted to sell to. And um, But I, at that point, I still didn't make the connection. We were a very successful auction company. We were selling internationally. Um, but then it happened a second time where um, this this case was very interesting, where um, a manufacturer had taken more orders than they could possibly produce and basically came to us and said, if you do not connect me with someone with massive production capability, my reputation is gonna be ruined and I'm gonna lose my company. And we did exactly that. And uh, he was able to maintain a minority share. Um, we sold 51% of the company. And at that juncture, I was like, wow, this is really fun. And we really added value and helped in this situation. Um, jobs were saved. Uh, a company was saved and and that part really floats my boat. So at that juncture, we really started in earnest to develop an M&A practice. And for, for many years, we uh, had two divisions, but the M&A work far overshadowed. I think in a three-year period, we grew over 400% three years running and at that, at that point, I said, okay, I'm done doing auctions. Well, that
0: involves quite a different different type of
1: prep work, doesn't it? Oh, sure. Yeah. So as an auctioneer, we were, um, as I said, we were selling, with the advent of, of online technology, we were selling internationally. Most of our customers, uh, where they used to be national, regional, We're now international. So a lot of our practice was about helping companies get the equipment that they just purchased at auction, get it to port and get it shipped, help them navigate that whole rigging and shipping process. Um, The M&A work is is completely different. You're, You're running through a process of helping a manufacturing business owner understand what their business is worth Many of our customers are, our clients are, they're incredibly interesting and wonderful manufacturers. They're very good at what they do. Most of them know nothing about m and work. AND SO YOU HAVE TO RUN THEM THROUGH AN EDUCATIONAL PROCESS WHERE um, YOU'RE you're DOING EVALUATION ON THE COMPANY, Um, YOU'RE SHARING WITH THEM, OKAY, THIS IS is WHAT THE CURRENT MARKET WILL BEAR, Um, AND THEN HELPING THEM PREPARE FOR THE M&A PROCESS. AND THAT'S A LOT OF um, DOCUMENT REQUEST, um they're they're very unaware of of things that need to be done you know for instance we're we're selling a company in Connecticut right now and a request came through uh, a phase one environmental has to be done on the property and my client was like what is this and we had to explain not only what it is but why it's needed you know that that an acquirer could be held responsible if there's environmental um issues on the property and they didn't do a phase one so there's a lot of there's a lot of moving parts it's very very different than than auctioning and a lot of relationship management oh yeah you bet you know a lot of times you have um we just closed one um oh gosh like a week and a half ago in detroit and you had, um, you know, lawyers in California, lawyers in, in the Detroit area. The, I, there were two lawyers on the buyer side, uh, two on the, on the sell side, and navigating all the personalities and relationships and data requests. It's a lot of work.
0: Well, and it it sounds as if your company really is concerned about, you know, retaining the culture of the company and the workers. And so what are the factors that result in a healthy transition between owners?
1: Sure. So um, first, let me just back up and speak to... Yeah, we're very concerned about most of our clients are um, there's never been institutional money into the manufacturing company. So you're talking about founder led um, or family run. Like right now we're selling a fourth generation manufacturing company. Wow. Sometimes these companies have been there for between 50 and 100 years. Our clients are very, very concerned about the continuity of the company, future opportunity for the staff. They want the jobs to remain in the community. Often these people are not retiring to Florida. They're gonna stay in their community. They're gonna see um, the families of these workers in the grocery store at church. Um, And so it's incredibly important that they make this transition in an honorable fashion where they can look the employees in the face and say, This is in your best interest. I did this because I'm ready to retire. I don't have someone to pass the baton to. And so if I don't transition to new ownership, the company will end. Right. So, um, yeah, we're, it, our clients are passionate about this. And as a result, we are too. We love to see jobs remain. And oftentimes, um, I'll give an example of this company in Connecticut. My client is a very small manufacturer. They're going to be acquired by a much larger uh, company. The larger company that's making the acquisition provides uh, benefits to their staff that my client doesn't. So instantly on day one, these people are going to have a 401k. They're going to have health insurance that they didn't have. I mean, that's a great story.
0: That is. Yeah. How many actually have succession plans prepared to ease the change? What do you find when when you're engaged in this transition?
1: Yeah, so um, oftentimes companies will contact us years before they're ready. to to understand the process, to understand what will be required of them, and to understand the current value of their business so that they could start to plan as to whether or not the sale of the company will facilitate the lifestyle that they want in retirement. Um, However, statistically, on a national scale, and this is not just manufacturing companies, um, I'm referring to the Market Pulse report put out by Pepperdine University. They track my industry on a quarterly basis, right? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, So again, it's not, when I say my industry, it's M&A. It's not specifically manufacturing M&A. If you look at this report for quarters spanning the last several years, um, it shows that People don't plan, people do not plan. Um, the, the higher the dollar value of the transaction, the more likely they are to, to plan a little bit, but it's still not enough. And so why this is important is that we, if they come to us soon and early enough, um, and we find that, so we, re, we reject more deals than we take. Um, I have I have a particular audience. They want they want manufacturing companies that are in an upward trajectory. They're strong. There's you know there's something special about them. Oftentimes, when people come to us, and we'll say to them, "Listen, you're not ready yet. If you if you try to do this now, you're going to get X." However. If you wait two or three years and you do this, 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 and this, um, you're likely going to get maybe 50% more, sometimes 100% more, depending on the situation. So we, we encourage manufacturers to uh, find out early about the M&A process. Many of them have no idea um, the possibilities that are available to them um, I'll give you an example. We're selling something out in the Midwest right now. There are two partners. One is older. He's, the, the sale is being sparked by his desire to retire. The younger one thinks that he's forced into uh, exiting this company because his partner wants to. Well, no, we can we can sell his part you can maintain equity become part of a larger organization and then down the line sell have a second liquidity event that might rival or beat the first so there's there's so many options for people sometimes that one's used um if a company has reached a plateau in their growth and they need um they need systems that they don't have they need funds that they don't have they need sometimes again they're great widget makers but they don't know a lot about business development through a merger with a larger company you can get skill sets that you don't currently have and as a result the company can skyrocket
0: Sounds like you are are dealing with a silver tsunami of retirements from the stories you've told and the amount of time we've already had together.
1: Yeah, there is, you know, and this is not just in manufacturing, but it is certainly true in manufacturing. There is going to be a phenomenal number of uh, heads of manufacturing companies retire one of the things that concerns us is you know the whole nation is talking about a skills gap and there is a skills gap there's over half a million jobs that need to be filled currently in manufacturing right um but the but the bigger problem is you think about we're trying to attract millennials into manufacturing uh but what about the someone new into manufacturing is not going to be able to buy or take over uh, that manufacturing company from a founder who's retiring. There's a whole gap because our nation spent a few decades bad mouthing manufacturing, saying it was dirty, nasty. You need to go to you need to go to school, doctor, lawyer, marketing, something, anything other than manufacturing, which is just a bunch of BS today. Right.
0: We, we talked about uh, that during the uh, the WHAM yeah. interview that uh, that the, the perception of manufacturing and uh, I mean, do do you see this as uh, um, uh, you you find some reluctance on on the buyer side, uh, you know, be, based on those perceptions, or do you think that they're already educated on what manufacturing really is?
1: So so the buyers coming into the process now. Um, they want manufacturing. It's a wonderful time to, so think about this. If COVID taught us anything, it's that manufacturing is critical. You know, we were caught with our pants down with a lot of different things that our country needed, that we needed to have manufacturers step up to the plate and, and produce on an emergency basis manufacturing is essential other businesses were closed manufacturers stayed open so what happens now everybody wants to buy a manufacturing company including private equities who previously w- wouldn't look at manufacturing now everybody their mother and their dog wants to buy a manufacturing company it's beautiful
0: so you're 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 not lacking for business right now <laughs>
1: No, no. We just um, we very recently listed. I want to say at the end of March, a really top quality manufacturing company in the Midwest. In fact, they are part of um, uh, the Top Shops. It uh, Modern Manufacturing Magazine. Their Top Shops. So they consistently rank in the in the highest twenty percent a percentile of everything that that publication measures well we in within a month we're fielding five different offers on this company and my client is going to get to choose who they want to sell to incredible yeah that's, that's a, you know another thing about that one this is really interesting. There's a you know a lot of talk about um, robotics and robotics changing the manufacturing industry. So, you know, and we're all talking about the skills gap. This was one of the most interesting things that I've heard in recent history. So, my client has um, they've added robotics to CNC machines. They said it's the best recruiting tool they've ever had really yeah because when you first of all it's an immaculate shop i mean they're 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 picture perfect as far as um you know changing the paradigm change you know um but as you first walk onto the plant floor you're met with uh the first thing you see is two robotic cells that are that are going 24 7. um and it's the, the young people come in and look at this and they're like, wow, this is, this is awesome. This is not what I expected. And they said it's been the best recruiting tool for them.
0: I wanted to get your perspective on, on how, based on your experience and in, in your travels uh, to manufacturing plants, how we can engage more young people and in particular, more women in manufacturing.
1: Sure. Sure. So, you know, it's interesting. I think everybody's waiting for something to happen on a national level. And I think this is more of a local problem. And I'll explain what I mean by this. I travel nationally. We have listings all over the country, including on the West Coast. Come. Everybody complains about the skills gap. Not everybody does something about it. The manufacturers that do are not experiencing the same level of grief as the ones who just complain about it. So um, I'll give you two examples. One was a company that we sold in North Carolina. Uh, The owner was very, very involved with the local trade school to the point where they were actually donating machines to the trade school. As a result of that, my client got to have his banner of his company on the wall of the trade school and he would take the young people right out of school he would first start them in college in um, high school rather and um you know it's the, they were on a work study program so you know what you're going to sweep the floor you're going to do filing you're going to do you know a whole bunch of different random stuff but if you show some work ethic and you show up to work on time guess what you're going to start shadowing a setup guy a machinist you can you can follow the guy that's doing the solid works if you're interested in that and he'll move them through the entire shop it, so it, it gives them a great view of every job that's possibly available in this shop from things in accounting, to solid works, to machining. Um, and if they continue to want a career, he'll take their hands, walk them down to the, the, the local college that has a great machining program and get them enrolled if there is not a um, state funding available, he'll pay for it. So, it, and you know what? They don't have a problem with the skills gap.
0: And then you, you said there was another example?
1: There's another um, in a uh, mid-Atlantic state and this is a current client and he has people who have been with him um, it started in college same type of thing work study program um, and you know some of them went through uh, a trade school others didn't he's got guys in their late 40s and early 50s who have been with him 20 25 years they're making an incredible living at this company they They get a their year-end bonus is up to 27% of their annual salary. It's it's incredible. Some of these guys, they're in their um, you know, that have started in manufacturing with some of these companies, they're in their mid-20s. They're buying a house. They're not living at home in in mommy and daddy's basement. They're buying a house and they're making a great living.
0: You you can't argue against that. And ha- have you seen uh, an increase in in women participating in manufacturing and leading manufacturing firms?
1: There's there's some statistics out there that say um, there you know there's more women. What I'm not seeing, and that I, that I hope to see, is women. Um, Making acquisition of manufacturing companies. So one of the one of the most uh, common types of buyers in today's market is not a private equity, not a large strategic. It's an individual leaving corporate America, who has perhaps worked for a Fortune 500 manufacturer, and they've been in a leadership position. They know a thing or two about business development and they're tired of making somebody else rich, right? And, and so they're acquiring their way into entrepreneurship, and it, it it's a great choice for retiring manufacturers because these people often come again with business development skills, sales marketing. These are things that are most often lacking in founder-led companies, you know, because you th- you think about a guy that's, 70 something years old, and he's gonna retire. For most of his career, he didn't have to worry about marketing. You know, it was, it was word of mouth. It was the old boys network. The world has changed. Now you need these functions just because of the sheer amount of competition there is. Um, so these individuals leaving corporate America, they're a great choice, but you know what? They're all men. I've not sold one to a woman. And I I want to see that change. There's no reason a woman can't do this just as good as a man does.
0: All right, we'll have to work on that. What is the next thing on your plate?
1: Oh, well, the next thing on my plate, um, I don't know. We're kind of kicking around the idea of um, again one of the one of the things that's most lacking in in founder led companies um, is a is a sales marketing function, um, and I really hate to see people, especially as they're aging, be overcharged for web development, for for some very simple things that, so we're we're kind of kicking around the idea of developing um, a division to assist manufacturers in some of those functions.
0: That makes perfect sense. Thank you so much, Fran, for, come on, for coming on the show.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. It's a, a lot of fun. And I realize I did so much talking. <laughs> You could tell I really hate this industry. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Thank you so much. You're a delight. Hope we stay in touch.